You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. When it comes to ensuring your company has top-notch security practices, things can get complicated and time-consuming fast. Now you can assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more with a single platform, Vanta. Vanta's leading trust management platform helps you continuously monitor compliance alongside reporting and tracking risk. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Learn why thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection, unify risk management, and streamline security reviews. Watch Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. The Lazarus Group targets developers. Threat actors target the banking sector with fake LinkedIn profiles and open source supply chain attacks. Vulnerabilities are reported in open meetings. HTML smuggling is sold in the C2C market. Johannes Ulrich from Sands describes attacks against niche web apps. Our guest is Demir Breshik of Inversion 6, discussing the privacy and security concerns of Meta's new Threads app. And Romania's SVR reports a pattern of Russian cyber attacks. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel briefing for Friday, July 21st, 2023. GitHub has uncovered a low-volume social engineering campaign directed at employees of technology firms. This campaign employs a combination of repository invitations and malicious NPM package dependencies to compromise personal accounts. The group responsible for this activity is believed to be associated with North Korean objectives and goes by the name Jade Sleet, according to Microsoft Threat Intelligence, and Traitor Traitor, as identified by the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Jade Sleet primarily targets individuals linked to cryptocurrency and blockchain-related organizations, while also focusing on vendors used by these firms. The attack commences with threat actors impersonating developers or recruiters through fake or compromised accounts on platforms such as GitHub, LinkedIn, Slack, and Telegram. After gaining the victim's trust... 
The attackers persuade them to collaborate on a GitHub repository. After that, the victim unknowingly clones and executes the repository, which contains the malicious NPM dependencies. GitHub confirms that no systems on their platform or NPM were compromised during this campaign. Checkmarks reports on the first known open-source software supply chain attacks that are aimed at the banking sector. In one instance, a threat actor masquerading as a bank employee utilized a fake LinkedIn profile to distribute malicious packages to other bank employees. These packages scan the victim's computer operating system and execute a second malicious NPM package accordingly. Notably, the Linux-specific encrypted file used in this attack managed to avoid detection by popular scanning service VirusTotal, enabling the threat actor to maintain a concealed presence on Linux systems. The attackers exploit Azure's CDN subdomains, even incorporating the targeted company's name in the subdomain, to deliver a second-stage malicious file named Havoc Framework. This approach cleverly bypasses traditional denialist methods, utilizing Azure's legitimacy as a service. Havoc Framework, known for evading standard defenses like Windows Defender, has become a preferred toolkit for threat actors, replacing legitimate options such as Cobalt Strike, Sliver, and Brute Retell. Despite the discovery and removal of the malicious open-source packages, Checkmarks anticipates the continuation of supply chain attacks, especially against banks. Researchers at security firm Sonar have identified three vulnerabilities in the Open Meetings web conferencing application. Exploitation of these vulnerabilities could lead to the acquisition of administrative privileges and the execution of remote code. The attackers can hijack an Open Meetings instance and execute commands on the underlying server requiring only an account that they can create within the default configuration. These vulnerabilities were addressed with the release of Apache OpenMeetings 7.1.0. Researchers at Inky have detected a phishing kit being employed for HTML smuggling campaigns. In these attacks, cybercriminals use personalized emails to deceive recipients about urgent issues with their company benefits, payroll, or health insurance accounts. Phishing emails share common features, such as harvesting user credentials, using parts of the recipient's email address in the sender's display name and email subject, containing fake confidentiality disclaimers, and encoding the malicious script to evade email scanners. This phishing kit is available on the dark web's criminal-to-criminal market, where advanced hacking tools are commodified and accessible to less skilled cybercriminals. Anonymous Sudan, a group associated with Russian intelligence services, continues its distributed denial-of-service attacks against various Western organizations. Their recent target, online subscription service OnlyFans, fell victim to their opportunistic disruption, albeit without significant strategic implications. Mandiant's research links Anonymous Sudan to the larger group Killnet, and while direct cooperation with Russian security services remains unconfirmed, the targets consistently align with Russian state interests. The researchers foresee further DDoS attacks from Killnet and its affiliates, expecting them to become more audacious in their operations. The hacktivist auxiliary style is characterized by swagger and swank, 
echoing the overarching message of Russian influence operations, fear us, take us seriously, and be afraid. And finally, Romania's intelligence service, the SRI, has reported encountering cyber attacks from all three major Russian intelligence services, the SVR, GRU, and FSB, since Russia's invasion of Ukraine in February 2022. The attacks demonstrate the persistent cyber threat posed by Russian intelligence across various sectors and countries. Coming up after the break, Johannes Ulrich from SANS describes attacks against niche web apps. Our guest is Demir Breshik of Inversion 6, discussing the privacy and security concerns of Meta's new Threads app. Stay with us. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard, and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. Everybody, I want to take a few minutes here and talk about our sponsor, Splunk. You know, you need to keep operations humming around the clock, but potential disruptions are everywhere. Splunk helps you predict problems and find and fix issues fast so you can reduce risk and ditch downtime. The world's largest enterprises rely on Splunk's unified security and observability platform to become more efficient, resilient, and innovative. With Splunk, you can react quickly, evolve faster, and be ready for anything. Stay ahead of disruptions. Learn more at splunk.com slash resilience. Social media giant Meta recently released their Threads app and platform to much fanfare and debate. Many see it as a direct shot across the bow of Twitter, where things are not what they once were. Demir Bresik is CEO at security firm Inversion 6, and I reached out to him for thoughts on threads. So in essence, it's a microblogging app, very similar to Twitter, allows folks to communicate uh, both on a uh, personal as well as on a professional level, typically through a mobile application. 
And so what are some of the specific concerns that, that you have with threads as a security professional? I took a look at it more from a corporate perspective, right? So in today's day and age, a lot of folks are using a personal device, a personal cell phone, but also having that ability and connection to their work life. So I really looked at it more from that perspective than anything else. Um, And one of the things I noticed uh, is the fact that uh, it really doesn't encrypt uh, any other messaging which Twitter does. Uh, also, I had a few concerns around their actual data privacy policy. Um, I ended up looking up on wired.com and there's actually a great article there with regards to uh, some of the information that threads could be collecting, such as your purchase histories, but also your financial information, all of your contact information, your browser history, so on and so forth. So because there isn't a an encryption in place, if you will, the mobile apps can become very susceptible. One of the biggest threats there would be something like a man-in-the-middle attack, for example. Yeah, and I suppose it's fair to say that Meta's reputation precedes them when it comes to gathering up people's personal information. Right, exactly. Right. So it's that it's that kind of old school um, George Orwell, nineteen eighty three. You know, uh, sort of fear, right? Yeah. Where Big Brother's watching everything, and and now we're being to a certain extent profiled, which on one hand can be somewhat interesting, right? So when my wife and I are walking around, you know, let's say in a mall type setting, or you know, in and we're visiting a new uh, location, we may get an occasional pop up here or there with regards to, hey, there's, there's this, you know, sale going on here or whatever. And so from that aspect, it's, it, it feels, um, you know, not, you know, not that threatening, Mm. but then all of a sudden, if you're in a more work uh, related aspect, or let's say you're traveling for business and all of a sudden you could be starting to get suspicious uh, links sent your way or some sort of suspicious advertising coming your direction that you haven't even asked for, nor are you prompting uh, on your own. I'm curious, your perspective as a CISO, um, the notion of uh, prohibiting users from from accessing an app like this versus, uh, you know, an educational approach or, you know, trying to provide guidance. I, I guess I'm thinking about the, the potential for shadow IT, where if you tell somebody no, that, that can make it even more alluring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think first and foremost, it always starts out with strong awareness, right? So if you're going to be bringing on uh, an application onto your personal device, it has to meet a minimum requirement. And I think that's up to those individual businesses. You know, let's say, you know, hypothetically, let's say they decide, hey, it has to have some sort of an encryption capacity or capability similar to like a Twitter, for example. Mm. You know, that could be one of the requirements. Making them aware of what some of the potential harms can be. Uh, making them aware of the threats that are out there. Uh, the one that I mentioned earlier was the man-in-the-middle attack. They could become very susceptible to that in their general lives, not necessarily just from a business perspective. But also, what type of content are you sharing? What level of sensitive information to critical information are, are they sharing? So again, it, it's a it's a level of due diligence that uh, companies need to start to become much more diligent on, especially in the dawn of new types of apps like this, you know, that are, that are going to be coming out. And I think with, with this new notion of these, quote unquote, uh, you know, Twitter killers, which 
technically Threads, you know, is, is starting to become a, a major competitor for them. Mm-hmm. This is probably going to become a, a more of a new, newer norm uh, where folks are going to have a kind of a, a 31 flavors, if you will. <laughs> Not to loosely use that Baskin-Robbins <laughs> aspect, but you know what I'm saying? Like, There's going to be folks that are going to have all sorts of options going forward, and it's a matter of doing the appropriate due diligence uh, you know, in their processes of making sure it meets, first of all, their company's policies, but then also their their own personal policies, right? If they have children, you know, what are they exposing their children to? Who are they allowing their kids to communicate with? So on and so forth. You know, I think a lot of that comes down to personal choice. So it's a blend of your personal and your and, and the corporate policies of the organizations you work with. That's Demir Bresik from Inversion Six. There's a lot more to this conversation. If you want to hear more, head on over to the CyberWire Pro and sign up for Interview Selects, where you'll get access to this and many more extended interviews. And joining me once again is Johannes Ulrich. He is the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Center. Johannes, it's always great to have you back on the show. I I know you and your colleagues there at Sands have been seeing some uh, interesting scans for vulnerabilities, uh, looking at some web applications. What's going on here? Yeah, what's really happening is that there are sort of these, I call them niche web applications. Uh, They're important. They're not that widely used. So the problem is a little bit that vulnerabilities in those web applications are not widely reported on. So they're often overlooked in your vulnerability management process. We saw a couple here, uh, Apache MiFi, that's sort of a, or NiFi, that's an application that's sort of used for machine learning to prepare data, GeoServer, something to look up uh, geographic coordinates and properties, and then also some Jira plugins. So uh, these are all important systems. They usually hold important data, but not very commonly used. And the scans for these vulnerabilities really sort of disappear with all the noise that you have from all the bots that are looking for IoT devices. So everybody kind of focuses on the IoT devices, which are often old vulnerabilities, like um, where systems, they're still vulnerable. They probably have already been exploited multiple times. And... uh, these newer vulnerabilities in those uh, niche applications are often overlooked and what attackers are then doing with them. So what, what's the solution here? I mean, is it, is it as, uh, as simple as if you're using some of these niche applications, you should you know, be looking through your logs for things that are specifically looking for them? Yeah, I think it really comes down to you know, the good old inventory problem, uh, which, mm. you know, of course, is hard. It's hard in particular for applications like this. Uh, because this may be something that the developer just started up to experiment with. Uh, there may not necessarily be sort of an official project yet associated with it. It just uh, developer thought, hey, you know, this is a great application. It can help us in a certain uh, project that we're sort of talking about. Let me just play with it to see how it works and how useful it is. But uh, then, of course, those applications stay up and running. Uh, they're not really being taken down. In particular, uh, if you're then using like cloud systems and such uh, to set up these applications, they may not sort of have your normal perimeter protection that you're sort of used to uh, for other applications. 
Is this a particular concern for folks in the, like, critical infrastructure or, or manufacturing spaces? I, I would imagine that those are folks who may be using specialized bits of software. I think that's part of it. Uh, it's also just you know, software development in general, uh, mm-hmm. because software developers tend to use fairly specific um, pieces of software, like Jira, for example, that's often used to manage development teams. And while Jira is well known, I wouldn't really call it a niche application, but you know, then these plugins that you're installing, uh, that sort of adds another uh, complication to the inventory problem. Now you not only have to track that you're running Jira, you have to know what plugin you're using. So for the folks who are charged with protecting their systems here, you, you mentioned this could be an inventory problem. Is, I mean, is this a matter of um, working with the folks on your team so that you know what they're running? Yes, I think that's very much it. It's uh, sort of informing them about these vulnerabilities and the need uh, to track these applications. Just you know, the awareness of showing them, hey, this is how these applications are being actually attacked. So uh, setting up some sensors in front of these applications can help uh, just to you know, show that they are being attacked. And hopefully you know, that will then tell developers and others that are setting these applications up that uh, they really need the cooperation of the security department, of your IT department, whoever is responsible for that in order to adequately secure these applications. All right. Well, Johannes Ulrich, thanks for joining us. That's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Joshua Miller from Proofpoint. We're discussing their findings on Welcome to New York, exploring TA-453's foray into LNKs and Mac malware. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance, 
for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. Cyber.